Now dig this, Matt. Y'all know I love stationery. Y'all know I love to take notes. I love to write. I love to write on paper. I love to write notebooks. Matt, what'd you get me for Christmas this year? I got you notebooks and pens and organizers. Correct. I love it. Uh, And I find that it genuinely helps me remember things better as opposed to typing them or like putting them on a, like a text file or whatever, actually writing something down physically helps me a lot. It helps me organize my thoughts. It helps me get my work done. And ever since I got my new uh, iPad and I got the Apple pencil with it, I have been doing that on there and that's great. The only problem I've had with it, it doesn't quite feel like writing on paper, which is a feeling I like. We have the solution to that problem. That's right. Paper-like. As I mentioned at the top of the show, it's a screen protector for your iPad. It uses a proprietary technology called NanoDots. With those NanoDots, you feel the natural resistance of paper on your iPad screen. It is a paper-like feeling on your iPad. So if you're drawing, if you're taking notes, if you're using your iPad like you would a notebook... Here's the way for it to really feel natural. And Chris, I know you love that. You you have an iPad, you got a paper like, and I'm sure it's it feels just right for you. It does. It feels great to use. Also, Matt, you know I'm very particular about paper. I have yes. specific brands of notebooks that I will and will not use, and paper like feels good on the iPad. Uh they also make accessories for the pencil to make the pencil a little more comfortable to hold. They make uh, accessories to help you clean the iPad as well. They've got it all. The ability to handwrite notes in a digital form is great to begin with, but getting that extra tactile feeling that makes me happy while I do it, (laughs) that gives me that little dopamine, that little serotonin burst that I like to have, is fantastic. The latest version of the Paperlike is manufactured in Switzerland using high-quality plastic foils designed for maximum picture clarity. You're not going to lose any of the definition of your iPad screen if you put a paper-like on there. And these foils are developed exclusively for paper-like products. It also always comes in a set of two, so you have a spare. Look, we know a lot of artists listen to this show. If you're an artist and you're looking for a way to make drawing on your iPad feel a little bit better... This is how you do it. So, to pick up your Paperlike, head over to paperlike.com slash Ajax, click Buy Paperlike, and select your iPad size. From now, right now, until the end of January, Paperlike is also including their Digital Pro Planner Bundle at no extra cost for every order placed through the Paperlike store. Plus, shipping is completely free. So if you're ready to do more with your iPad, head over to paperlike.com slash Ajax, to get started. Clytus, I'm bored. What plaything can you offer me today? That's more Rocket Ajax to bring back his body. Hello, everybody, and welcome to War Rocket Ajax. You're hearing my voice, Matt Wilson's voice, instead of Chris Sims here at the top of the show, because Chris uh, is not on this episode. He 
had uh, some stuff he had to deal with this week. So uh, I'm here saying hi to you all, but I'm not alone. I have a co-host with me this week, and it is a friend of the show, someone we've had on the show multiple times, someone who I hope will give me all the details about what's going on on Alfred, on HBO Max. <laughs> it's Daniel Kibblesmith. Hey, thank you for having me. That is the one thing that I should have prepared for this audience. I should have either caught up on the Alfred show, uh, which I'm not currently. I have seen some of the new season, now subtitled The Origin of Batman's Butler. Right. I, the, the only thing I know about season three of The Alfred Show is that Lucius Fox is a regular character now. Yes, Lucius is a regular. Uh, he's, if I recall, he's in season two like a fair amount uh, near the okay. back half. But yeah, now he's like a series regular. And he's like a CIA guy or something? <laughs> Yeah, oh, I mean, you know, look, t- to be expected, that's a vast simplification. Okay, yeah, but <laughs> Yeah, the, it, season three, sort of a repiloting where uh, Alfred's new status quo is that he's sort of a freelance Sherlock Holmes slash uh, bounty hunter for, like, super science people gone rogue. So when there's, like, kind of a Gotham-style science monster uh like uh i believe in the first episode of the new season uh he finds a guy who has like illegal robotic implants and the the guy can't control them himself he's like basically a good guy and Uh alfred kind of kind of deals with the sort of possessed robot arm and brings this guy down into lucius's little underground british government cyborg x-men where he is uh, studying them, and uh, presumably uh, that's where some of the the heroes and villains of Season 3 are are coming from. But I am tragically not caught up. Daniel, I'm going to admit something to you. Here's why I cannot watch that show. In my head, I have this idea of everything you just described. And if it's not that, I'm going to be so disappointed. Yeah, not an issue. Not a problem. <laughs> okay. Well, I'll, I'll just tell you this. When, when you describe somebody as having like cybernetic impa- implants and being like a cyborg guy, based on like the promo stuff I've seen for the Alfred show, I'm imagining it being like the most steampunk, visible gears made of bronze. There's actual steam coming out of it. These are all the things I anticipate and hope. Yeah, I mean, that's fairly close. You know, it's okay. not that, but it's not not that. <laughs> okay. Well, it's definitely in the it's definitely in the ballpark of what you're describing. It is very much like it's still sort of intended to be like the late 60s, early 70s on whatever, right. whatever multiverse planet this is where uh, Thomas and Martha Wayne live in England and have a daughter. Right. But uh, yeah, no, I mean, the guy's robot arm is like this big clunky machine arm. like the the first kind of super character that gets introduced very out of the blue in season two is like a, a big chunky Mr. Freeze kind of looking guy. Uh, really, really Mr. Freeze sort of in everything, but you know, name and biography, like they've kind of like cr- created like a sort of a weird lateral Mr. Freeze out of Alfred's uh, terrible old commanding officer from when he was in the, the army. It's a hell okay. of a show. 
Maybe I will watch it after all. Like maybe it will live up to all my very high expectations. It's going to be everything that I described. Uh, I don't know that it will be more. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Uh, Fair enough. Well, we'll get into talking about more stuff like this when we get to our interview segment later in the show, which will be a pretty free-form interview segment. Uh, Maybe not as regimented as it always is. Loosey-goosey. Yeah, we're going loosey-goosey. And... We're not going to do our usual Patreon thanks this time, this episode, since Chris isn't here and he bestows the thank yous on our Patreon supporters. But I will say, uh, if you want to support the show, go to patreon.com slash Ajax, and you can kick in as little as a dollar a month and you get all of our shows ad free by doing that. And there are other rewards over there too that you can go there and check out. Uh, patreon.com slash Ajax. But Daniel, we are going to do a segment we always do here at the top of the show, and that segment is Checks and Rex. I am so excited to participate in this. Daniel, what do you have to check in with? You asked before we started recording about whether something was appropriate for a check, and I wonder if it's what you're going to say. <laughs> I think I'm, I think I may as well. Yeah, certainly now that we've teed it up, I, I think it's it is the biggest thing that's going on with me, and it's something that maybe the listeners of the show uh, are, are familiar with if they've if they've heard me talk about it before. And that is that uh, inside job, the adult animated workplace sitcom about the Illuminati, uh, for which I, I was a a writer uh, and most most recently a co executive producer. Uh, on uh, internet uh, moving pictures, uh, what's it called? Internet flickering. <laughs> internet flickering pictures. Yeah. Internet flickering pictures has has gazed into the all knowing uh, brain of the algorithm and uh, and found season two of Inside Job wanting. So there there will not be any more episodes of the TV show Inside Job. I'm sorry to break the news. I'm sorry not to be working on it anymore. Uh, because I, I I truly enjoyed it and was very very proud of my contributions to it. Yeah, it was a great show. And if you haven't watched it, listeners, and you made the algorithm make the decision that it made, right? This is all on you. It's your fault, and <laughs> there's no way to make up for it. But taking could, food out of my baby's mouth, <laughs> you could go watch it. And you should. I did. I noticed, Daniel, that on the second season, you were credited basically on every episode as staff writer. Yes, correct. And all of that is very amorphous. I mean, any anybody yeah. who who you know participates in this or just follows it closely knows that um, the credits is sometimes not a perfect reflection of uh, what everybody is doing. So yeah. I definitely worked on every episode of that chunk in varying, you know, capacities. And obviously uh, we, we had a whole uh, team of writers and the wonderful uh, creator, uh, Shion Takeuchi, uh, who everything gets, gets uh, starts in her brain and then gets filtered through it before you see it. Uh, she's, she's the best. Also very sorry that you guys don't get to see more episodes. She and I have been talking a lot. 
Um, but yeah, I was uh, technically a consultant uh, on the first season, even though I was doing you know essentially the same job, just because that's kind of how it shakes out sometimes. Yeah, and a staff writer on on uh, season one, part B, uh, as Netflix sometimes calls it. And then what we were working on uh, for for the past uh, couple months would have been would have been the official season two. So I have loads and loads of like borderline canonical stuff in my head that you can ask me in person if we ever hang out. Uh, but but until then, uh, do not do not be tempted to punish Netflix by withholding your eyeballs from Inside Job. I'm still enormously proud of of all of it. Uh, I worked on season one, you know, retroactively and, and on the back end of things. I worked on season one, part two, very closely. Uh, and, and nothing, nothing would make me happier than to keep the spirit of it alive in the viewers. Yeah, absolutely. Everyone listening to this, go watch Inside Job. It's a hoot. It's a very fun show. I have expressed on... The sh- on the show in the past that like when when I first heard the concept I was like I don't know it's, yeah. <laughs> it's, yeah it's it's, it's <laughs> a bit of an uh oh right it's, it's is this something I really want to get invested in, in right now in 2020 but having seen it it is very fun it really pays off on the premise and does a kind of amazing magic trick of getting around that uh oh. So it's absolutely worth a watch. Uh, that uh, means a lot to me. And that's something that we work really hard on is to yeah. make sure that, you know, animation takes a long time and you don't necessarily know what the state of the world is going to be For sure. when, when you drop something like this. So we worked, we worked really hard to make it this sort of uh, like, uh, oh, clones of Elvis conspiracy show. Yeah. Not the my uncle thinks this is real conspiracy show. Right, nothing happening in any pizza parlor basements. Just right. Just You're not going to have a bad time participating. This is more like X Files, you know. Yeah. Like this is more yeah. like the stuff you kind of grew up with before the world broke into into two pieces. Uh, well, I, I'm very sorry to hear that it's it's not coming back, but it is two parts of one season, I guess, technically that are, yeah, I think it's like 18 episodes total, something like uh, that. A great time. Uh, and you should be proud of it, Daniel. It's, it's a great show. Thank you so much. I really, really appreciate it. And thanks for the multiple occasions. I got to talk about it on this program. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I love it and I love your show and I love the, the listeners of which I am one. Then Daniel, you'll know that sometimes on this show, we like to talk about, um, projects that we do at home and how they go awry <laughs> oh i sense i sense your check coming and th- that's my check um so i had something happen uh here at the very beginning of the year that uh is is it's never happened before uh in my recollection to me so it was it was a car issue which has happened to me many times but it, it was a new one on me so Marlene has a, a fine vehicle, a uh, 2015 <laughs> Toyota Corolla, and I oh the best! I've owned two yeah. Corollas. It's it's the it's the car of cars, and uh, I 
had had discovered she had discovered that it was like not starting as readily as normal and maybe was like being a little you know less than perfect like driving like it would maybe shudder every once in a while or something like that and i was like ah, it probably just needs a tune-up so i'm like i'll just go take it to uh the the shop and get a tune-up after all the new year's stuff is done so on like january 3rd the first official day of the year back after new year's i was i was like all right that's what i'm gonna go get take the car to get it fixed. So I go outside that morning. I get in her car. I turn the key. The car will not start. And it's clicking. And I'm like, okay, it's not what I thought it was. It's not a tune-up thing. This is a battery problem. So I open up the car, and the battery is covered in more corrosion than I've ever seen on a battery ever in my oh, life. Oh, amazing. Amazing. Mountain of blue corrosion on the battery. And really waiting for you to to be ready to check it out. Like really yeah. like almost like like a malevolent force, really aware of your schedule. Yes, very much so. And so uh I did happen to have because as Chris calls me, I'm a dad, which means I'm a homeowner. Correct. And as a home as a dad, I have battery corrosion cleaner obviously sure uh so i had this like can of stuff that i could open and spray on the battery to get rid of the corrosion and i i got rid of most of it uh with the the cleaner stuff and i said okay no worries i will remove the battery myself because the car wasn't going anywhere i will remove the battery myself and i will go uh to uh autozone and i'll buy a new battery and bring it back, put it in, all is good. A fixable problem within the parameters of your abilities. Until <laughs> I attempt to take out the battery, and the negative battery terminal rips in half like a piece of beef jerky. Holy, yeah, sure. As I'm turning the screw, the, the nut, to get the battery off the terminal... The thing just like bends and rips, and literally, I can't describe it as anything like as <laughs> other than like like a piece of beef jerky. It just goes sure, and yeah, because this yeah. thing's just been like farting out its battery yeah. acid, absolutely, you know, it squeezing has, it has, its melty juices all over everything for what days? It has melted the whole dadgum thing, and so I am. This is this is the point where I reach the limit of my ability. And uh, oh yeah, I inferred that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So uh, you know, I had to call a tow truck, and, and uh, they towed the car away. And you know, the, they took it to the shop. And to the shop's great credit, um, they only charged us for like the parts of the replacement terminal and the battery and whatever else, and didn't charge that much for labor because it was a relatively pretty penny for the tow. Uh, but what a, what a start to the first business day of 2023. Sure. That this is, that this is it. This is the tone setter. Uh, everybody, everybody get ready to dig a little deep. Yeah. It's what I, what I love about these stories about like home projects are the thinking that it's going to be manageable right up until that point where it's absolutely not manageable anymore for you. And yeah. Your, uh, your skills, which is which is 
what I hit. Uh. Yeah, yeah, that wall where it's like the YouTube tutorial guy says like, okay, now you have to solder something. And I say, nope, this is going in the garbage. <laughs> Uh, all right, so that's my check. Uh, yet another uh, uh, home improvement story. Uh, Daniel, it's time for some recommendations. What do you have to recommend on the show? My rec is also kind of a New Year's resolution, and uh, that is uh, the the full-on cult that is bullet journaling. Yeah. Are you familiar with this? I, I am. I'm mainly familiar with it because of Kelly Sue DeConnick, who was a very early adopter of bullet journaling. Exactly what I was going to say. She is yeah. the person who brought it to my attention on social media ages ago. Uh, and the reason that I did not pursue it at that time was because I was on social media. So if I had anything <laughs> resembling like a daily log you know, of what I was going through it would have been uh, dumped out of my brain, unfiltered directly onto what this show refers to as the bad website. Yeah. Bad website got a little too bad. Uh, I'm trying really, really hard not to write any original content for it anymore. Um, I apologize to anybody who follows me on there, and and I I thank you for hanging in there, because what what I do with it now is I'll put out, uh, if I am interviewed uh, somewhere, if I'm announcing a project, uh, it's still too valuable a platform to throw away completely for me at this point of my career. But uh, the the desire to write jokes for its current owner is very, very low uh, right now. Yeah, I'm in the same boat completely. I barely tweet on my account for me anymore. Almost all my tweets are just on accounts for podcasts now. Yeah. I think that having it be this kind of one-sided, you know, professional thing. I mean, look, there's a reason that everybody I know just started a Substack. stack, <laughs> uh, you know, a, a company with its, you know, with its own kind of uh, public history of, of uh, uh, hits and misses. Yeah. But you know we're all we're all hustling. We're all trying to find a way to to tell people uh, what we've got going on. But for things you don't need to tell anyone, there is a method of journaling uh, called the bullet journal uh, that's invented by a guy who has a name and a website, and all of these things are available through Google. But the gist of it is that uh, you get a, a analog journal uh, dotted paper or graph paper works really great uh, because of the sort of spacing and sometimes you can uh, kind of mark stuff off with a ruler and what it is it's it's an analog planner it's a planner that you fill in manually every month and then your daily log is uh individual uh bullets which are you know little emojis that you use to indicate like this is a task that has to be done this is a task that i'm moving to next month because it's not urgent uh here's a cool dog i saw today and that's just a little a little note that you're making. And the other thing that really appealed to me about it was I'm not really I'm not a person who thinks or cares about uh, mindfulness or um, anything that has even a whiff of uh, new age uh, to it. I'm unfortunately allergic to uh, probably 
uh, at the expense of becoming a better person. <laughs> but I, I have seen pages of uh, Jim Henson's famous journal, uh, what, what his uh, family and colleagues refer to as Jim's Red Book. And he independently came up with a very similar system, which is sort of like a one-sentence-per-day journal of just what was going on with him personally and professionally. And he is obviously a big creative hero of mine, you know, maybe my first creative hero. So between uh, Kelly Sue, genius, Jim Henson, genius, a uh, guy who created bullet journaling, certainly a marketing genius, uh, I have found this to be uh, helpful and addictive in its own way and a great kind of methadone for getting off of uh, Twitter. So if anybody's looking for just kind of a classic New Year's resolution, keeping this kind of journal uh, has uh, become part of my daily life. That's very cool. I know that they're the official, like, branded bullet journal journals, and then they're also the journals that you can buy that are basically bullet journals but don't have the branding, but it's essentially that. Like, Marlene has one, and she's been doing that this year, too, and... They seem to have been. It seems to have been very helpful uh, for her as well to you know be organized and and do some things. Uh, we're both actually in the middle of a quote unquote dry January, like a no drinking January, and uh, I think the journaling has really helped her do that. So. Yeah, habit tracking is one of the sort yeah. of classic templates. Um, if you go online, you can you know see what other people. Are doing and um, there's a lot of like very you know I, I will I will warn there's also like a lot of kind of uh, sort of competitive or intimidating Pinterest and Instagram surrounding bullet journaling where people are doing like beautiful calligraphy and little <laughs> Sailor Jerry ribbons that have all of your monthly uh, to do list titles in them I, I don't do any of that stuff uh, it's incredibly minimalist. But yeah, it's it's turned into just you know a fun little memory lane. I write our nightly Scrabble score in it, and which episode of Andor we are on. <laughs> uh, nine as of this recording. I'm thrilled because I thought there were only eight. Oh yeah, and Andor is a journey. It's and a roller coaster. I, yeah, great show. I I I'm excited for you to finish it. It's mini it's, mini wreck. Well, my recommendation, uh, Daniel, is. Not not exactly the opposite of bullet journaling, but it is <laughs> um, a video game that you can waste your time with. Um, it actually, uh, I so there's a YouTuber, a video game YouTuber that we have talked about on the show a few times before. Uh, this guy named Jacob Geller, who makes really thoughtful, really good uh, YouTube videos about video games. And introduces me to a lot of kind of indie games that I wouldn't have known about unless I saw his videos. Like he did a video, I still haven't played this game, but he did a video about what he said was his like favorite moment in a game from 2022. That seems like part of an absolutely fascinating game that honestly I'll probably never play, but it it's fascinating to hear him talk about it. But that's exactly yeah. what YouTube is for. Or, <laughs> yeah. uh, or high-budget Last of Us adaptation series for guys like me who spend an hour learning how to pick up a ladder. Yeah. But the, the game he recommended in his top 10 of the year, he did a top 10 of the year video, and I played some of the games on his list, uh, but one I had not played that rang a bunch of alarm bells in my head as a game I needed to play 
is an independent game called Norco, which is available. I, I know it's for sure available in the PlayStation Store. I'm pretty sure it's available on Xbox, and I'm quite certain it's on Steam as well. I don't know where else it's available, but essentially what this game is, it's a little heavy, but uh, I think it balances this pretty well. So essentially you're playing as this character named Kay who left her hometown of Norco, Louisiana as soon as she could and traveled around the country. And this game kind of takes place. I think Jacob Geller describes it as one minute in the future. Oh, I love that stuff. Yeah. Where it's like definitely a future, but not that futuristic. Like there's, it's futuristic enough for there to be a robot in the game, but all the houses still just look like regular houses and they're kind of run down and grimy. Yeah. That's that turn in that cyberpunk dial, like two degrees that really works on me. And, and what you discover is that Kay has been traveling the country fighting in these like random little battles that have been happening all over the country (laughs) Uh, she's so there's some kind of ongoing war within the country that's constantly going on. And Kay has been participating in those, but she finds out, she finds out that her mother has died. And so she comes back home to Norco. And when she comes back home, um, her mom, her mom's already dead. So the funerals happened and everything. And her brother has gone missing. So the the big kind of mystery of the game is, where's your brother? Like, you're Kay and you're trying to find her brother. And you're sort of just bumming around town doing point-and-click adventure stuff to try to find him. Also, the game occasionally flashes back where you're playing as Kay's mom just before her death. And... So you're you're kind of reliving her whole last maybe month of her life. One of the last things she does, you, the first thing you do is Kay's mom, whose name is Catherine, I think. Uh, she like catalogs her memories. She like goes to like an office where there's a procedure done to catalog her memories. Yes, great. Yes, weird nonlinear narrative stuff that you can only do in video games. Yes, and it gets weirder from there. I I won't give it all away, but there is a weird app-based gig economy thing that Catherine gets involved in that involves giant, weird, monstrous birds. So, so, so there's more to this that you're not giving away. <laughs> yes. <It's, laughs> All right. That's very promising. There, there are a lot of like w- truly wild reveals in this game. Um, it kind of ends up being about a cult. It's, it's a, a, a weird escalating story in the game. And the way that you figure things out, the way that you do things in its point and click kind of way, the setting of it all. It's like, there's a whole section where you just r- ride around in the bayou with a, in a boat. And it's great. Like the, the game pressed a lot of buttons for me. 
I, I was going to say, I pulled this uh, while while you were describing it. I, I pulled it up on my phone, and uh, uh, the Steam description starts: Norco is a Southern Gothic point-and-click narrative adventure. Like, yep, the that is for the Ajax boys, <laughs> for sure. And uh, it it reminds me in some ways of Disco Elysium, the game that I played at the same time last year. Uh, I don't know the the weird mystery games are what I play during my holiday break i guess i i highly recommend norco if that sounds like your kind of deal uh because it it constantly threw me with its narrative choices and it's also got this great artistic style it reminds me of a game that i became obsessed with well after i could play it so i had to watch a playthrough uh, on YouTube, uh, Hideo Kojima's Snatcher. Oh, the- interesting. No, I didn't. I didn't know this existed. But the style uh, brought me back to like uh, the Sierra games or kind of yeah. the early Lucas Arts thing that I was obviously obsessed with at that time. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's got some of that in it, definitely. But like, secretly, I think Hideo Kojima's best game is Snatcher, which is a, also a point-and-click kind of detective mystery game. I am not uh, a gamer at all, but even yeah. I know that is a crazy hot take. <laughs> yeah. That you just dropped um, a very, I mean, it's a very Matt Wilson choice, but that's a, that's a bomb for sure. <laughs> and I'm a huge Metal Gear fan, uh, but Snatcher is, well, I guess PT is actually Hideo Kojima's best game. But after that, it's Snatcher, and Snatcher has uh, like a town square with a weird, creepy Santa Norco also has a weird, creepy Santa uh, that is also a robot. <laughs> so I'm just so saying, shades Norco. of shades of Futurama as well. Yes, Norco, it's good. You should check it out, uh, Daniel. Those are our checks and recs. Let's talk about some comics that came out this week. Let's do it. I read comic books, Daniel. I had kind of promised myself that I would not talk about Amazing Spider-Man if I didn't have to. This is a comic that Chris and I talked a lot about last year and talked a lot about on the Gordies. A Gordies sweeper, if I yeah. recall. Yeah. Uh, it's It was one of our favorite comics of last year. And then Amazing Spider-Man number 17, a part of the Dark Web event, is a book where Peter Parker is stuck in limbo and has to go to work at the Daily Bugle. <laughs> in limbo. <laughs> for a terrified J. Jonah Jameson, who is told by demons that he has to demand juicy, tasty, tasty <laughs> takes of Spider-Man with tears in his eyes. And they're so hyped for him. Yes. <laughs> they're so pumped that they're there. The demons are so excited that J. Jonah Jameson is down there. Yes. Uh, this is a book where uh, Spider-Man is so inspiring that he inspires a like little demon guy to become his own version of Spider-Man in Limbo that he originally calls Parker-Man, which leads to a truly fantastic last page reveal. Really, really good. Uh, really good last page, an instant, an instant addition to the Spider-Man canon, and that's not easy in this day yeah. and age. Yeah, Zeb Wells 
is writing this as he has been since the number one of this volume of Amazing Spider-Man. Ed McGinnis is doing the art. It's oh, I love this book, Daniel. It's so incredible when Jay Jonah <laughs> tries to fool these demons <laughs> after he and Spider-Man come up with a plan to try to escape Limbo. It's such a good it's such a good issue. And this is the part where I reveal to to the audience that this is a book that I'm not caught up on despite participating in one of these issues. Yes. Uh writing writing a backup story in the Gordy Award winning uh number uh, 6 uh, nay 900. Yes. I I want to talk to you about that in a little while in the interview part. I highly recommend catching up. This yeah, I mostly get my praise uh, from you guys from this yeah. from this show, and uh, yeah, haven't had haven't had time to uh, purchase and devour the the trade paperback, but uh, it's uh, it's so good, and this issue is particularly like this kind of you know labyrinthy like Muppety uh, nonsense that I just really really respond to. <laughs> I, well, I like the labyrinthy Muppetiness of it, along with like a pretty great underlying through line of like Ben Riley, who who is now known as chasm because he's lost his memory and he's just angry now is trying to get Peter to give up. And one thing Peter Parker is never going to do is that is give up. It's so, and, yeah, it's so yeah. clean. It's such a, it's such a perfect understanding and uh, distillation of the character uh, yeah, uh, uh, Zeb is great, uh, and uh, Ed McGinnis is also obviously uh, great, and he is really cutting loose in this. Uh, you know, yeah, you see sure. him draw all of the all of the the superheroes in all of their sort of like uh, he has this really this really kind of like crisp kind of toyetic grandeur that I that I love in his Avengers stuff, especially. This is so much weirder, <laughs> and, and uh, he's, yeah, he's just bouncing off the walls. Uh, the demon designs are all so good. The one that's like a smiley face with a bite taken out of it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so good. I yeah i I was gonna not talk about this issue, and then I read it, and I was like, how could I not? Absolutely, how could I not? Uh, the next issue i want to touch on is actually from last week but given that we mentioned it on the gordies i felt like it was necessary for us to discuss this uh, it's the first issue of the new scarlet witch series uh written by steve orlando with art by sarah pacelli i i kind of caught on to what this book was doing pretty quickly because what it's doing is the Moon Knight status quo, but for Scarlet Witch. So, Daniel, I don't know if you've read any of the new Moon Knight series. Uh, yeah, I've read some. Well, I've read some in the middle. So, what I'm probably yeah. missing from your comparison is that uh, this is a very conscious sort of repiloting. Yeah, that's definitely what it is. But specifically, it's about a character who has kind of been through the ringer. A superhero who's been made in story to do some villainous things. So in Moon Knight, it was betraying and attacking the Avengers. With Scarlet Witch, it's you know 
been any number of things <laughs> over the course of decades. Yeah. But yeah, like a quote unquote broken character who is still a beloved fan favorite and sort of deserves a, a bit of a, a, a bit of a polish. Yeah. And specifically in both cases, they open a hub, like a business hub in whatever place they're going to live in. In Moon Knight's case, it's his neighborhood in Scarlet Witch's case, it's upstate New York. What is the town in New York that they're in? I forget it's the name. Lot of the town. Kill. Lot Kill. That's right. Yeah. Uh, in Scarlet Witch's case, it's this like bookstore that she's called the Emporium in Lot Kill, New York, where she's like settled down and she's like, "I'm just going to help people. I'm going to stay here and I'm going to help people," which is what Moon Knight does in the Moon Knight book. But it works for both characters, and I think this works really well. The The real innovative idea here is that Scarlet Witch has set up this door in the Emporium, the last door, where people who have reached their limit with a magical problem will walk through. They can walk from anywhere through any door and come through the last door to ask Scarlet Witch for help. Yeah, when you need her, when you are uh, at your your last rope, uh, sh- you will arrive uh, in her <laughs> in her shop. Yes, and in this issue, it's kind of like a establishing her deal. We find out that the corruptor has come to this town in Italy and made everybody like bend to his whims and indulge in their worst impulses. So Scarlet Witch obviously has to stop him. She she turns him into a statue, is what she does. And then she lets the people of the town decide what to do with him. And it's great. Yeah, I, it's I, it's this kind of perfect it's this kind of perfect one and done. I mean what what it what it is, uh in my mind, is just a perfect textbook first issue. You know, we get a last page reveal that sort of like opens this up to the bigger Marvel Universe story of it all. And we also, why we mentioned it on the Gordies is that Darcy from movies is finally in comics in this book. Matt, doing dishes, listening to the Gordies, yelling at my phone like we all do when you guys are so close to something but you don't quite have it. And the huge (laughs) relief, the huge relief I felt when you Googled it and you were like, oh, yeah, she's coming next week. Yeah. Yeah. it's. I love the way that she's introduced here because it's not just like she and Scarlet Witch – our old friends that we've just never seen her before. We found out, we find out she came through the door. That was the really fun. That was the really fun addition. And I like, I like Steve Orlando as a writer uh, and a dude. So, so much. I love how uh, weird and unhinged his work can be and how complicated it can be and how he, trusts you to to follow and enjoy and keep up but it's also really interesting to see him do just this incredibly crisp easy to follow formulaic in a good way first issue of a scarlet witch series where you meet everybody you know as much as you need to but he asks the right questions to make you understand that this is serialized and there's there's more to come uh the first issue of a series that could run for a hundred issues this yeah. is such a unbreakable premise. 
And, you know, I, I feel like people might think that by calling, by saying this is doing the same thing as Moon Knight, that I'm knocking it. I'm not. I think it works for both characters really well and establishes a status quo that can get, like you said, can carry through for a long, long time. So uh, it's not a knock at all. I think it was really smart to put Scarlet Witch in a Moon Knight situation. But one last book that we're going to talk about is Lazarus Planet Alpha, which is the, the big DC event of the first half of 2023, I suppose. And the difference for me between this and some other recent DC events is that this one is spinning out of Batman Superman World's Finest. So it's about the devil Neja and also how it's raining Lazarus pit goo all over the whole planet. That's such a cool idea. <laughs> that's, uh, a huge, that's a huge problem, I bet. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's written by Mark Wade. He's been writing World's Finest. You know, that's a big selling point for me, for sure. The art is by Ricardo Federici, uh, which I have to admit, it took some getting used to for me. To, to kind of yes. connected to this art. Yeah, he's sort of doing, a, like, a, I saw this kind of a, a Simone Bianchi kind of enhanced pencilsy kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, for for a book full of like kind of weird ethereal uh, stuff, uh, not inappropriate. At first, I was kind of like, "This is too real to be about this magic story where Monkey Prince is a key character." <laughs> but it ended up working. I mean, another part of it is the colors, right? Uh, Brad Anderson is the credited colorist on this. And everything is kind of green. They're in a green storm uh, the yeah. entire time. Yeah, it's interesting that your note was that it was real in a way that clashed with the content. Because my takeaway was like, oh, this is kind of like fuzzy. Like this is sort of yeah. like the boundaries of, of reality are uh, at play. I guess when I say real, it's just like detailed. Yes, they're very rendered. And, yeah, and the and the colors are muted. and. My expectation for a story like this is usually big, bright colors, more like what you get with the Monkey King backup mm-hmm. by sure. Jin Yang. Yeah, and also DC event comic, which yeah. you know can be big and bright and um, a little more uh, <laughs> reality bending in the artwork. Uh, but the moment that really sold me here is kind of the big ending reveal not quite the big ending reveal but like the next to last page spout splash page where batman who has been near incapacitated through the whole story gets demonized <laughs> <laughs> that page is is the page that that was so good that ricardo federici had to put his initials on it <laughs> yeah that's always a good sign <laughs> Whenever you see that, you know that they're proud and you should be proud of them. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I had a fun time with this, ultimately, despite having mostly just reservations about the art. I, I ended up really getting on board with it. And uh, it just seems like a fun event, which I really want from DC Comics right now. But that's what I need after 
being so baffled and disappointed in some some big name DC comic stories as of late. Oh, I, I listened to the show. Yeah, <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, no, I, I liked this. Um, I, I don't know if the I don't know if the audience can tell from how enthusiastic I was about getting to read comic books and talking about them with my friend. But I don't read a lot of new stuff right now. I'm endlessly catching up on uh, runs, especially a lot of like modern classic runs that have happened kind of in the last 10, 15 years. So I am not caught up on, on Wade's uh, World's Finest. I've been waiting for the hardcover to come out. Uh, I'm not caught up on any of uh, Gene Luen Yang's uh, Monkey King stuff that I'm inferring is going on. Yeah, there's in the, there's in the, the DC universe. There's a monkey. Pr- it's a book called Monkey Prince, and Chris and I said it on the Gordies. We're not totally caught up on it either. But what we've read of it is super fun. It's it's a fun time. It it seems that way, and I like the talents behind this. Uh, certainly on the writing side, is like so undeniable. So I, I had a great time. I maybe thirty percent understood what was going on. <laughs> Yeah, that's fair, <laughs> but that's but that's about right, you know. For comic books, that's that's a pretty good score. Uh, well, Daniel, that's that'll do it for our comic book segment. Uh, three good ones uh, this week. So, oh I'm God, did to... I get lucky? Yeah, let's uh, take a quick pause, and we'll come back and 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 do some interview stuff, answer some some Twitter questions, and and whatever else we want to do. <laughs> let's do it. Now, dig this, Matt. Y'all know I love stationery. Y'all know I love to take notes, I love to write, I love to write on paper, I love to write notebooks. Matt, what'd you get me for Christmas this year? I got you notebooks and pens and organizers. Correct. I love it. Uh, And I find that it genuinely helps me remember things better, as opposed to typing them or like putting them on a, a text file or whatever. Actually writing something down physically helps me a lot, it helps me organize my thoughts, it helps me get my work done. And ever since I got my new uh, iPad and I got the Apple Pencil with it, I have been doing that on there, and that's great. The only problem I've had with it, it doesn't quite feel like writing on paper, which is a feeling I like. We have the solution to that problem. That's right. Paper-like. As I mentioned at the top of the show, it's a screen protector for your iPad. It uses a proprietary technology called NanoDots. With those nanodots, you feel the natural resistance of paper on your iPad screen. It is a paper-like feeling on your iPad. So if you're drawing, if you're taking notes, if you're using your iPad like you would a notebook, here's the way for it to really feel natural. And Chris, I know you love that. You you have an iPad, you got a paper-like, and I'm sure it's, it feels just right for you. It does. It feels great to use. Also, Matt, you know I'm very particular about paper. I have specific brands of notebooks that I will and will not use. And paper, like, feels good on the iPad. Uh, They also make accessories for the pencil to make the pencil a little more comfortable to hold. They make uh, accessories to help you clean the iPad as well. They've got it all. The ability to handwrite notes in a digital form is great to begin with. But getting that extra tactile feeling that makes me happy while I do it, (laughs) that gives me that little dopamine, that little serotonin burst that I like to have, is fantastic. The latest version of the Paperlike is manufactured in Switzerland using high-quality plastic foils 
designed for maximum picture clarity. You're not going to lose any of the definition of your iPad screen if you put a Paperlike on there. And these foils are developed exclusively for Paperlike products. It also always comes in a set of two, so you have a spare. Look, we know a lot of artists listen to this show. If you're an artist and you're looking for a way to make drawing on your iPad feel a little bit better, this is how you do it. So, to pick up your Paperlike, head over to paperlike.com slash Ajax, click Buy Paperlike, and select your iPad size. From now, right now, until the end of January, Paperlike is also including their Digital Pro Planner Bundle at no extra cost for every order placed through the Paperlike store. Plus, shipping is completely free. So if you're ready to do more with your iPad, head over to paperlike.com slash Ajax to get started. I said this is going to be a free-form interview uh, that we're going to go with the flow here. But, uh, you know, i got to come at you with the hard-hitting questions about what everybody wants to know about. What oh, yeah. I don't even swing at softballs. That's right. I let them go right by. That's not what I'm here for. You, you gotta you you go for the hard balls, and those are the <laughs> ones right. you need. I play a sport where the pitcher can choose between soft balls or hard balls. <laughs> and when <laughs> and when the pitcher chooses a soft ball, I think you're making fun of me. That's right. It's an insult. Yeah, I'm not, I don't even bother. So here's here's the big nail you question, the gotcha question, Daniel. You said on Instagram, in regards to Archie and Friends, all action, number one, that you watched all of Dion Genesis Evangelion to write that Archie story. <laughs> I, I want to know what themes from Neon Genesis Evangelion ended up in, in your Archie story about them having mech suits. Okay, so... So, uh, this is a, I have a two-part answer to the question, okay. uh, what themes uh, from Neon Genesis of Evangelion ended up in the, the Archie story about them wearing mech suits. Uh, uh, part one of that answer is most of them. Oh, great. Good. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> anyone who, anyone who has seen, uh, anyone who has seen, uh, Neon Genesis Evangelion. So the, the origin, the origin of this project, uh, is that I love, the Archie comics licensed tie-ins very much, uh, friends of the show, uh, guests, uh, you guys have reviewed things like, uh, Archie versus predator, yes. uh, stuff, stuff of that nature. So I pitched ages and ages ago and I'm, I'm going to say it out loud because maybe it's not going to happen, but, but maybe I'll be manifesting it. I pitched Archie meets Pacific Rim. Years ago, <laughs> yeah, I mean, famously, you you wrote uh, Archie meets Riverdale. I did. Yes, that was my first uh, Archie project. Was I got to write the first, uh, to my knowledge, only comics crossover between the Archie Prime universe and the Riverdale cast. And in my mind, that is Riverdale canonical. Uh, if you are a fan of the show Riverdale. Uh, they have met the cartoon Archie characters in my comic. That counts. <laughs> As a result of that, I started trying to pitch other Archie projects, uh, some of which might 
still one day happen. But the one that I couldn't quite get off the ground, whether it was just that that property isn't uh, available to us through whatever crazy licensing magic Archie has been able to do in the past, couldn't get Archie meets Pacific Rim off the ground. Uh, but they did eventually remember geniusly that mecha anime is just a public domain concept that the archie characters can be affixed to so the yeah the now the now editor-in-chief uh mike pellerito asked me what would i be interested in doing an archie mecha anime story and it will have the themes of having an extremely bad father who looks to sacrifice your life at every turn yes uh choosing whether to destroy your own world uh because of your disillusionment over piloting a mech suit sort of uh the end of all your creativity uh no (laughs) okay so that's that's the theme that's not (laughs) yeah that one i squeak by that i feel like it was more of a behind the scenes insight (laughs) from neon genesis evangelion the 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 finale that you may you may appreciate this uh the finale that i described on twitter as uh what if steve ditko made duck amok it's true yeah yeah i I stand by that uh Uh, so no i'm being i'm being i'm being glib uh i i watched old neon genesis evangelion i had been meaning to regardless i'm famously not a big anime guy uh, I have asked via listener questions which animes I should uh, watch, uh, having seen uh, most of the uh, most famous and accessible ones, uh, so I can kind of make a deeper list. Uh, but yeah, I watched all of Neon Genesis Evangelion to prepare for this Archie story, and this is where I reveal that part two of that long answer is that it's only five pages long. Well, you got to do research. You got to do research. <laughs> got to do your research, even if it's a short story. <laughs> so, uh, it's a five-page story in uh, uh, Archie and Friends All Action Number One, uh, of 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 which I am one of those stories. But I just really wanted, I really wanted to do it right, and I think that we did. Uh, like Archie meets Riverdale, which was conceived as a six-part miniseries that just kept getting shrunk down because of uh, COVID and schedule. It was this process of taking everything I wanted to do and just trying to figure out how to do it as efficiently as possible. And the Archie characters are efficient. They are so streamlined and ready to be plugged in to, to stories, no matter how crazy. So it's a, it's a universe where you can pull something like that off. People already speak the language of those characters and are coming in with an understanding of their relationships and, and what you're, what you're doing with them in this new setting. Well, talking about characters in new settings, this leads into my Spider-Man question, Daniel, because you mentioned the story that was in amazing Spider-Man number six slash 900, all about uh, Peter's library books, which have led to i mean i can only assume is what led to these spider-man library cards that i've seen like is there is there a story there like were you involved in helping make these spider-man new york public library cards happen so there's there's got to be a story there 
Uh, but but I was actually totally surprised by this. <laughs> uh, so the origin of the the origin of the story that that I scripted uh, our our story uh, is that uh, Nick Lowe, the the Spider Man editor, uh, called me out of the blue and said we are interested in doing sort of a, a law and order torn torn from the headlines my words a law and order torn from the headlines story about this real thing that's happening in New York that a uh, New York public library like a lot of libraries is going to stop having late fees and uh, forgive all exnet fees which i think is a, a great policy uh, i've worked in libraries uh, a library and what the late fees really do are uh, drive people away, make them feel ashamed uh, for participating. Yeah. They're really the opposite of, of community service, which is what the library is best at, uh, not just... They're a, they're a punitive measure. Yeah, yeah. For, for a place that, that really, uh, in its heart and design, uh, is, is supposed to be as welcoming as humanly possible to literally everyone in the town. Yeah. Uh, like one of the very few places that is free and for literally everyone. So I evangelize about libraries like crazy. And, uh, I was at mine today, uh, go as, as, as often as possible. And, uh, the Libby, uh, app where you can get free eBooks delivered straight to your your phone or, or tablet, uh, also helped me get through quarantine. So I just can't say uh, enough nice things about uh, libraries and your local librarian and library culture. So I was very thrilled uh, to do this because uh, Nick set, read that headline and said, you know, who probably has a lot of overdue library books is Peter Parker. <laughs> uh, and he came in with some, some kind of joke areas and, you know, the, the idea that maybe we could do sort of like a listy thing where you got to, to see uh, all of, all of the books that he had checked out. And as a, you know, joke writer, like one-liners writer for a lot of my career, that was catnip to be able to just come up with every every book that Peter Parker had checked out of the library. So many, in fact, that I said, hey, cut the ones, you know, you don't think are working as well. And he said, no, we're just going to give you five pages instead of four. We're doing every single one of these. Uh, so uh, we did this story and I asked him, is this going to live on some kind of like, is this going to be like a free comic that they give away at the library? Like what's the, what's the destination for this? And he said, Oh, you're going to be an amazing Spider-Man 900. <laughs> you're going to be in a big old zero zero, uh, issue along with the current writer of amazing Spider-Man and the longest writer of amazing Spider-Man. So, uh, it is some, it was some real, real bucket list stuff. Uh, to get to yeah. not only do a story about that, about that material, uh, to do my first, you know, Peter Parker six one six story, you know, not like uh, Marvel Comics presents, not a Spidey story, uh, you know, both of which I had a great time doing, but you know, proper ass Peter Parker, uh, and then to find out that it was going to be in a big one, that it was going to be in one that people actually, you know, went out of their way to to buy. Um, just, just, just the best. Uh, so, so, so happy and excited. Um, but yeah, fast forward a couple months later and I just happened to see on like, you know, Google news that, uh, they partnered with New York public library to do a Spider-Man themed library card. 
and then re-released this story on Marvel Unlimited for free, like a library book, uh, so that people could uh, read it, enjoy it, get back into comics, uh, get back into their local library where they have comics. It's just all of this is perfect. It's one of the best things that ever happened to me. Yeah, I I think it's so cool when a thing that happens in a story leads to a comic book story specifically leads to any real life thing. And like, I don't know how the Spider-Man library cards came to be. Like, I'm sure, I'm I'm sure the New York public library was stoked because, you know, it's a great way to, if, if Spider-Man's on a card, more people want it. Yeah. And he's the New York guy. Yeah. Uh, but like just, you did a story about Spider-Man at the library and now he's on a library card. It's, it's, it warms my heart that that happened. It's so fun. I want one so bad. I don't live there anymore, so that's a crime, but I want one. (laughs) I want one so bad. I want a dead one. I want them to send me a, a a non, a non activated one. Um, but yeah, when the story dropped, even before the real life library card aspect of it, I said on Twitter that, and this is true, one of my oldest, one of my oldest tweets probably was something I said years and years ago. I was visiting New York and I was sitting on the steps of the New York public library, the Midtown one with, uh, Patience and Fortitude, the big lions outside. And I was working on, at a time when I really had no business doing this, I was working on pitches for Marvel comics. Uh, specifically I was coming up with a Wolverine story that uh, honestly I'd still love to do someday, uh, a version of, but I tweeted, uh, at Joe Casada, who would have been the right person to talk to at that time. Uh, Hey, I'm, I'm working on a Marvel comics pitch, uh, out in the New York public library. Should I come by and uh, drop it off? Is that how it works? Quasi sarcastically, but also uh-huh. you know, sh- shoot, shooting my shots. Yeah, do it. And, you know, do it. Understandably, no reply. But uh, yeah, ten plus years later, getting to do a Marvel Comics story about the library where I was trying to write Marvel Comics just felt good. So um, thank you for asking. Everybody, please check it out. Uh, one yeah. of the one of the best things I've, I've ever been lucky enough to be involved with. And and if you're in the New York area, go get one of those library cards. Yeah, for real. What a cool thing. Brooklyn I, I is its t- own system. Like even if I lived, even if I was there, I don't think I could have one because we lived in Brooklyn. Yeah, uh, I can tell you that I also probably well before your message shot my shot with Joe Casada. And he he likewise stonewalled me. He was I think he was at Heroes Con one year. And uh, oh, this was an in person. Oh yeah. Oh, oh yeah. He was at Heroes Con one year, and he had like this you know line of people signing stuff. And I think I brought him like it had to have been an issue of Daredevil or something that he had drawn. It might have been from his Iron. Man. I might have brought him some issues from his Iron Man run, which I contend is. Joe Quesada's best Marvel work. Uh, it's gorgeous. Written, I remember it looking great, and he's so yeah. good at drawing the reflections in the armor. Yeah, and the story was good, too. There was that story about uh, Iron Man's armor becoming sentient. It, it was 
a good story. And I, but I, I brought him something to sign. And I got in his line and I went up to him and, you know, he signed my book. And I said something like, So how, how can I get in there? Like, yeah. what do I need to do to get in there? And he, he just said, he, he gave me some line about, we have a great internship program and that was Oof. oh yeah. oh I mean, so I it was, wasn't even like a it wasn't even like a oh you know keep hustling it was, you know it was, like you produce know, your own work a, I, I mean i was probably of age to be an intern at the time i was probably 19 so you know it fits but mm-hmm. yeah like he gave me the standard join our internship program <laughs> I'm sh- I'm sure I'm sure he meant well, and that it was not nearly as devastating as I just interpreted it as being. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if he, if he told me that when I was 35, that would have been a real punch in the gut. Yeah, that's a killing blow. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but when I was 19, I I got you know I understood. Yeah, he said the thing that he says when people who look like you ask about breaking Looking in at Marvel. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Okay, I got to bring up. Another thing from a thing you wrote showing up in the real world. I have and no I, idea what I, this is going to be. I don't assume that you have any information about it. I did mention it on the show, I guess on the Christmas special with Matt Fraction. Because, oh, I, I listened I listened to that. Yeah, okay. Now I know sort of what this is going to be. Well, this was Santa from Santa's husband appearing on that store sign. In the Midwest somewhere. I want to say it was in, like, Indiana. <laughs> it was in Muncie, Indiana. Yeah. Like... Davis I, country. <laughs> that's right, out in Davis country. Like... What? I I don't... I know you don't have any information about it besides having seen the same thing I've seen. Right. A picture of it being on the sign. Right. But so like, this is a this is a multi-stage thing and I have information about the 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 back end. Okay. I well I'll I'll accept whatever information about that that you have. For listeners that don't know, Daniel wrote a children's book called Santa's Husband based on a tweet back from when tweets could do that. <laughs> <laughs> they had a magical power to change your life in a good way. Yeah. Uh, look, I also participated in a Twitter book. Yes. Those, those will never happen again. Yeah, these are going to be really hard to explain in the afterscape. The, you ain't kidding. Uh, but AP Quatch illustrated it. It's a lovely book about Santa, who is black, and Santa's husband, who is white. Uh and and their lovely life together. I just want to know if you ever expected, in the process of making that book, for it to break through into the world at large in that specific way. No, I mean, abs- not in that specific way. Certainly not. <laughs> it's it is such a, it is such a thing. Every year with Santa's husband, there's like a big surprise. Because yeah. I think, you know, the reason we wrote it, obviously, is because it's this kind of uh, catchy, provocative premise, uh, but the book itself is not trolling. The book is very sweet uh, and and earnest and tries to come from a good place 
and uh, be kind of open and vague enough that everybody can incorporate it into their lives or celebrations uh, in 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 their own way. It's a it's a very inoffensive, mild piece of art, but with an incredibly uh, gettable and uh, you know, if not confrontational, like certainly like noticeable premise and cover. So every year there's a big surprise. Last year there was, I think, like a congressional candidate or maybe a, like a state rep candidate in Texas who went to a fantastic uh, bookstore called Book People uh, that Ashley Quatch, the illustrator, has an ongoing relationship with and has done a lot of original artwork for. That's, she in, went to, that's in Austin, right? In Austin, yeah. Yeah. And uh, this uh, a candidate who who won, you know, who is some kind of uh, a rep now. She at the time was running and went into a small local business and proceeded to kind of crap on them for for having this book on the shelves, uh, and uh, that had a something of a backlash uh, for her, where uh, everybody kind of latched on to. In a in a brand new viral way, but the book had been out for ages. But every every year, there's some kind of weird viral thing associated with it around Christmas time. And last year, that was that. And uh, friends and uh, writers and like a couple famous people uh, tweeted or Instagram support of the book and said that this lady was being a bigot, which she was. Uh, and we you know sold copies to people who maybe uh, didn't know about it because it had been on the shelf for a while and. Uh, not not really on on anybody's radar lately, and then uh, this year, uh, this past Christmas, twenty twenty two, the big the big surprise <laughs> was a, a guy in his car driving past a liquor store in Muncie, Indiana, where they had found Ashley's original pitch art, not even art from the book, but her original concept <laughs> art of a black Santa Claus and a white Santa Claus type cheek to cheek, virtually eyeball to eyeball. The image that she whipped up the night I did the tweet that we ended up using to, to sell the book, uh, a liquor store in Muncie, Indiana put that on their digital billboard yeah. uh, in rotation on their, on their marquee outside, you know, where it might say like, you know, Michelob four ninety nine for six or whatever. Yeah. Uh, instead, it's it's Black Santa and his white husband, and a TikTok user in his car drove by and wrote a beautiful, soulful jingle for it, uh, which I, I won't I won't try to do from memory, but uh, it ends with him saying, "And that's the vibe." And uh, I, I, the vibe was not really in the lexicon when we wrote Santa's husband, but earlier when I described it as being sort of. Uh, sort of generic on purpose and kind of uh, pluggable into your own lives and, and celebrations. The word that I needed at that time was vibe. Yeah. That Santa's husband is a vibe. This guy clocked it, wrote this beautiful jingle for it on TikTok, uh, a social media platform that I'm barely on and do not use. Uh, but everybody in the universe, thank you for sending it to me. Uh, and then we got in touch with the guy, and I, I think Ashley's going to try to send him some artwork or something, because we're 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 very we're very grateful that this continues to be something that uh, catches people's eye, obviously, um, but but also <laughs> inspires you know love and kindness and art and fun. 
I saw the TikTok. I don't remember what led me to it. I think Marlene might have just seen it. Marlene, who actually understands and uses TikTok, I think saw it and sent it to me. And I like saw what was on the sign, and I f- kind of flipped out uh, <laughs> about it. Well, it's like something from a dream, really. <laughs> I mean, it just shouldn't. Yeah. <laughs> How did you get that? Yeah. Uh, what a what a strange situation. It was, I'm, I'm glad uh, you ended up being able to get in touch with the guy. It, it's uh, what a what, what a great story down there in Muncie. Well, Daniel, I. We've talked about the big topics that I wanted to get to, and uh, I know you've got Princess Dinosaur is a pretty new project, and which which is also with Apiquatch, uh, and we'll plug that at the end of the episode. But how about we move on to some uh, questions from our listeners here? I love it. It's the only way I'm going to see what you're writing on Twitter. <laughs> That's right. Uh, here's one from BD Clark on Twitter who says, have you guys read ducks yet? It's pretty great. That is the new Kate Beaton book that I have not gotten around to reading yet, but I absolutely will. Yeah. Same ducks is on my nightstand. Uh, yeah. quick shout out to secret headquarters in silver Lake, uh, a great comic shop that's currently in a, a new, a new temporary location. And could definitely use your support because uh, I was going on a jog and tripped and fell uh, on a elevated curb right outside Secret Headquarters, where they told me that they have seen a ton of people wipe out on that exact curb. Uh, so I am uh, sitting uh, on their stoop, uh, bleeding a lot, uh, and they peek out their head. And they say, hey, are you okay? And then a different guy says, uh, hey, uh, the book you ordered is also in. <laughs> uh, which is just like a pitch-perfect local comic book store experience. For sure. <laughs> so uh, I was so grateful uh, that they gave me uh, some, some first aid stuff. Uh, that uh, when I returned to Secret Headquarters that week, I got the book that I had ordered. Uh, shout out to um, uh, Chris uh, Sebela, Sebela. We've never talked about it. Um, and uh, Kendall Good, a Dirtbag Rapture. Uh, oh, yeah. Really fun, really fun, a creator owned uh, sort of supernatural uh, adventure comedy. Uh, and I also picked up Ducks in hardcover because I wanted to buy something substantial to thank my local comic book store for taking care of me when I was literally bleeding. Uh, Chris has been on the show. I'm pretty sure it's Sabela. That sounds good. That's a better one. Don't do the other one. Don't do the <laughs> one that's not your name. Uh, here's a question from our Discord from Merriweather. Uh, Merriweather asks, we know where Chris and Matt stand on Heathcliff. As an avid Garfield stand, where does Stan, where does Kibblesmith fall on our favorite ham fiend? Have we never talked about this? I don't know if I've talked about Heathcliff on the show. I feel like it, he he maybe has come up, but I don't know if we've gotten your your hot take on on Heathcliff. So I'm I'm definitely between you guys, but like leaning towards Chris. I think it's pretty funny. Okay. <laughs> I, I sort of I sort of love I sort of love how uh, unapologetically uh, anarchic 
it is. You know, I grew. I, I I'm of an age where I kind of grew up watching Space Ghost, Coast to Coast. Uh, a, a favorite of mine as well. Yes. Yeah. So so good. So for me, uh, this scratches some kind of early Adult Swim uh, itches. Uh, but I'm not here to convert anybody. <laughs> Here's what I'll say about Heathcliff as a Garfield stand. There's a Washington Post Q and A with Jim Davis in the early days of the internet uh, that I don't have on hand, but maybe I can get it for the show notes. And he sh- shots fired at Heathcliff. Because wow. uh, I'm paraphrasing, but what Davis says uh, in in comparing uh, his his fat orange cats to the other fat orange cats is that Heathcliff, as a single panel comic, uh, is not it, like basically doesn't have to work as hard. <laughs> like he kind of he kind of throws it under the bus as like yeah get, you know gag panels are easy. I'm building a world. Yeah. That's that's a third or wait two thirds less panels. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, 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 the math is on Jim Davis's side. Yeah. Uh, do I think it's harder to write something shorter than something longer? No, not necessarily. But I love that Jim Davis has a public stance because it's the kind of thing you would say on Twitter. It's like, oh, I wonder if you know Jim Davis hates Heathcliff, and <laughs> y- you can find out. You could just yeah. go look it up. You you could go find the what he what he fired some shots. Tales to Enrage on Twitter wants to know what's your most blistering food opinion. Oh God, of course, because you guys have those. Yeah, we do. I every year ask my wife Jennifer Wright, friend of the show, former guest, excellent uh, author, Excellent author, uh, Madame Ristel, about uh, the f- maybe the first American female millionaire uh, self-made because she was a turn-of-the-century abortionist uh, on sale February of this year. Please go check that out, everybody. Check it out. Um, no. Yeah, yeah, of course. Every year she makes me a birthday cake with the store-bought strawberry icing that's actually kind of hard to find because I like it way more than good homemade strawberry icing. You know, I have no problem with liking a store-bought version of a food more than some like seemingly superior homemade version. I'm glad to hear that because it is something I feel slightly, you know, it's that banana Laffy Taffy thing where it's like (laughs) this, you have never seen a strawberry. But it's like, if that's what you like and what you grew up with and what you like the taste of, who cares? That's it, man. It's a hundred percent sense memory. I'm going to a place. I'm doing the, I'm doing the bad guy from Ratatouille. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, everybody knows my uh, most blistering food opinion, which is that hot drinks are too hot. You don't like hot drinks. It's so weird, Matt. <laughs> They're too hot. <laughs> I, once they cool off a little bit, I'm fine. But like, sure. when they're like piping hot, I, I, I burn my mouth. I don't want to yeah. burn my mouth having a nice beverage. And that's a practical concern. That's a physics thing. You can't argue. You can't argue against it. It is happening. Uh, Kate Bishop, number one Black Widow fan. Sure, real name. Real name on our Discord has two questions that are related. First is, who is the worst Simpsons character? The worst Simpsons character? The thing that makes Simpsons work is kind of that everybody's like 
good and important. I I have a I have a definite answer. Who's who's yours? My least favorite. I'll, I'll I'll say my least favorite Simpsons character. The Simpsons character that showed up and made me say the show is worse now is Gil. Yeah, I was kind of leaning towards Gil. <laughs> Because Gil is a replacement for all the Phil Hartman characters. Oh, and, uh, that had not occurred to me. Yeah. I, my personal feeling is that after Phil Hartman died, The Simpsons was never the same. And Yeah, Gil, that's, that's hard. There's eras, for sure. I mean, obviously in a show that runs that long, there's eras. And, and, and Gil, to me, is like their make-good on not having Lionel Hutz and Troy McClure anymore. And but he, Gil is just like it's 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 like he's trying too hard. It's like the character is trying too hard. <laughs> which which is kind of his deal is that he's very he's he's a desperate person. He's very needy. Yeah. Gil is Gil is Jack Lemon in Glenn Gary Glenn Ross. Yes, it's absolutely what he is, yeah. As a as a as a one-off, right? Uh, it's kind of like when Disco Stew joined the cast as a regular, because it's sort of like this throwaway joke, but then he still has to live in the town, because that's how right. Simpsons works. But that has so much absurdity on its face that I'm always delighted to see Disco Stew. And he's very additive, you know? Yeah. He's not asking me for anything. Uh, Gil, Gil, Gil needs. Gil, Gil, it's just, I, I get the joke, but... It's it's but it's it is what it's parodying at the same time in some weird way. Yeah, um, it's not even if the joke works, it's not necessarily inherently fun to spend time with somebody who's down on their luck like that. Yeah, for sure. Kate's follow up question is who is the best Simpsons character? The, so well, I'll caveat this by saying that I, I've had this conversation very recently, and what I did was I said outside of the core family because yeah, I I think sure. that certainly it's uh, Homer or Marge. Um, but, uh, I'm going to say Milhouse is the best and my favorite. And I think that's a really common choice, but that's cause he's great. Yeah. I have been, and always will be a huge Mr. Burns fan. Yeah. Also a really good answer. Mr. Burns is like the best, one of the best s- satirical looks at a mean bad boss. And billionaire to ever exist in anything. My joke answer was going to be Bart because <laughs> always the best. Right, right. I, I mean, sometimes Bart. that's true. You know, like Michelangelo probably is the best character <laughs> in the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. I was uh, uh, I went to a, a music show uh, in my twenties, and I was watching this really young, very soulful uh, folk musician. Uh, sing, you know, deeply poetic personal songs, and then he stopped in the middle of his set to say, uh, "Hey, you guys want to see my new tattoo?" And of course we did. Uh, so he lifted up his shirt, and he had a ten-inch high Mister Burns on his chest. Wow! And he said, and we say this all the time around the house. He said, "I love him. That's not going to change." <laughs> We say that about our child. Well, you do. And it that won't. has so firmly entered our personal lexicon. Oh, I love I love to hear about couples s- s- 
language, like not necessarily like different words that they say, but like the things that they say to each other that only they understand in context. Yeah, 100%. All people who have been married right. for a chunk of time are just, you know, Star Trek Next Generation characters where you have to figure out what they're talking about to each other. It's it's the techno babble. Uh, another question from Twitter is from uh, Outrider C, which is, what is your favorite breakfast sandwich order? Oh, I'm so glad you asked. Uh, when I lived in Chicago, a place where Matt has also lived. Uh, the home uh, I, of Chicago Bagel Authority. Oh, ooh, good answer. Uh, mine is uh, the goddess and the grocer that was in Wicker Park uh, at the time oh, I was okay. there. Yeah. Uh, they did a scrambled eggs on a croissant with prosciutto, uh, fresh mozzarella, sun-dried tomatoes, uh, and fresh basil. Uh, and I make it at home now, because uh, ordering from that place was also a nightmare. Yeah. Uh, I make a lot of bagel sandwiches at home. Uh, bacon, egg, and cheese, or sausage, egg, and cheese. I can go either one. Although, my choice is always going to be a Bojangles Cajun Filet Biscuit. Oh my god! I was just down there for the holidays, and it, once again, I didn't make it happen. Uh, you gotta, you gotta make it happen someday. Uh, Spuds fan on Twitter asks, "What's your favorite Garfield TV special?" Oh, Halloween. I mean, well, shoot. You know what? There's something about there's something about the. No, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna change to to Christmas because Halloween too scary. Yeah. The okay. Garfield Halloween special is famously, to people of a certain age, like surprisingly scary. I, I believe the official title was Garfield's Halloween Adventure. Yeah, and it is. Uh, it's got a, it's got the best song. What'll I be? What'll I be? There's so many sides to me. Um, that's the best song. Uh, well, it's not the best song in all of Garfield. That's definitely Lou Rawls's "Here Comes Garfield," uh, <laughs> which we which we also sing to the baby. <laughs> Uh, but well, specifically when we bring the baby into the room, we sing here comes Garfield as though she is Garfield. And I think she's getting old enough to pick up on that. And she's going to think her name is Garfield. Yeah. Or just be mad. <laughs> Either one. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. What'll I be from the Halloween special? But, um, the, the opening, the opening wish fulfillment sequence of the Garfield, uh, Christmas special, the kind of gimme, gimme, gimme sequence where he has the, the machine that gives you whatever you want. And John wishes for like, kind of like an elf hat, but he's sort of quasi dressed like Robin hood too. Uh, and then you just watch as a child watching Garfield just have omnipotent power <laughs> for the opening dream sequence. Uh, and then the, and then the genuinely, uh, you know, very saccharine, but also kind of genuinely sweet, uh, bit with, uh, grandma, uh, near the end. Uh, I'm going to say, I'm going to say the Garfield, uh, the Garfield, Christmas special uh, is is the one to beat. I mean, really, Peanuts is the one, in my mind, where you're kind of talking about the specials. Um, Garfield yeah. doesn't have that many to write home about. Okay, well, Daniel, I don't know if you know this. I just discovered this. All of the Garfield animated TV specials and Garfield and Friends are available for streaming right now on Peacock. No, I had no idea. They're all on Peacock right now. 
I will read to you all that all that are available for streaming on there currently. There's uh, Garfield Gets a Life, Garfield's Halloween Adventure, Garfield in the Rough, Garfield Goes Hollywood, Garfield's Babes and Bullets. Oh, that's a Matt Wilson for sure. That's essentially Dog City. Yeah, it is. Uh, here comes Garfield, which I think was the first one. Yeah, Garfield's Feline Fantasies, Garfield in Paradise, Garfield His Nine Lives, Garfield on the Town, Garfield's Thanksgiving, a Gar and a Garfield Christmas Special, and then all four seasons of Garfield and Friends. All right, so two things about that mind blowing to me. I've only heard of about half of those. <laughs> yeah, look, there are I'm, a lot of them. Look, I do my time, but I'm no Chip Zdarsky. You know, like that guy's yeah. that guy's in the life. He is. He lives the life. He wears uh, the costume. He wears the costume. <laughs> also, can't believe Garfield and Friends only ran for four seasons. In my mind, that show was on for a hundred years. Yeah, I, I mean that's true of everything that was on TV in our childhood. That's right? true. I was I was a little baby. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's do one more question from Twitter. Uh, actually, I'll field this one uh, from I Wonder Woman. On Twitter, I wonder should we organize a search party for Stone Cold ACC? I yes. Find him. What yeah. has happened to Stone Cold? I need to know. Is his mama worried? Is his mama worried? I I haven't heard from his mom <laughs> in a little while either. Let's let's see what's going on with Stone Cold. Uh, get back. F- organize your search party and get back to me, please. Uh, here's one last question from Dark Entries DJD. Uh, how likely are you to haggle over the price of a used car? Oh my god, not at all. I am such, such a mark. Anybody listening, take advantage of me, get my money. I cannot fight you on any of this stuff. I, the thing is, I know I'm supposed to. Sure. I'm just, I'm just, I don't want to. Like, just tell me the price and make it a reasonable price and then I'll pay pay it. I don't you even know? like confrontation... Uh, or battles of wills where there is no money on the line. Yeah. And you want to do one that has stakes? <laughs> no. No, no, no. I have been watching uh, Travel Man, the Richard Iowati comedic travel show uh, from Channel 4. And there was an episode where they went to Istanbul. And apparently it's just a thing. In, I don't know if it's Istanbul or all of Turkey, but it's a thing where you haggle for everything. Yes, that is uh, normal. Um, yeah. I went to Morocco with Jennifer, and they were very specific. And you know, all the tour guides were like, okay, now here's the part where you haggle. And Americans in general, I have learned, and we in particular, are so, so reluctant to try that. Yeah, <laughs> I don't want to do that. Like, because because I'm th- I'm thinking I'm gonna say a price. I'm gonna say what I'm willing to pay, and I'll be laughed out of the store. Right. Which which you you will be, but that's like a bit that they're doing. That's part right. of it. But yeah. it's very hard to internalize that information. Right. I'm like, oh, you. I I've done a bad business. <laughs> I, I guess I, I guess I don't want this jacket after all. Yeah. Like I don't want to haggle over a rug. Just sell me a rug. Like I kind of understand it with a car, just by virtue of the fact that it's such a big ticket item. Sure, and it's used, right? So there's this yeah. gray area. Of how much is it really worth? Yeah. 
But man, I I don't like it. I know I'm supposed to, but I don't like it. Well, I think we've learned a lot here today. Daniel, thank you so much for joining me as guest host and guest on the show. Uh, please let all our listeners know uh, where they can find you, where they can find your stuff, what you're working on, whatever else you want them to know. Uh, thank you for having me. This was a tremendous honor. Uh, you can find me, uh, for the first time, I'm no longer at Kibblesmith uh, across all media. I had to come up with a public Instagram account to, one, replace the bad website, and two, do Instagram Live stuff when some of the Archie projects were coming out. So if anybody wants to reach me, uh, they can do so at Daniel.Kibblesmith on Instagram. I also try to update my website where you can also send me messages directly, and that's just Kibblesmith.com. Or you can find me at the library, I guess. You know what? If you see me at the library, actually don't. <laughs> send me a message on Instagram while we're both at the library, and I'll get back to you if I want to look up for my computer. Daniel, it's so great to have had you on here. Uh, I love talking to you, and it was it was I had a great time. If our listeners want to get in touch uh, with me and Chris, they can email us at warrocketpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, that is where you can send every story ever lists or listener questions, or let us know if you want to sponsor the show or hit us up about any other topic uh, that you wish to. Uh, you can also tweet at us at WarRocketPod. It's one of the podcast Twitter accounts that I actually pay attention to now. Uh, you can hit us up on Tumblr, ask us questions on Tumblr at WarRocketPodcast.tumblr.com. You can join our Discord. You have to ask for an invitation to be a part of our Discord. But uh, if you ask nicely for an invitation, we'll we'll send you one. Uh, so hit us up on one of the places I just mentioned for that. Our website is warrocketajax.com. It has every episode of the show that we've ever done. Uh, dating back to 2009. That was a long time ago. You don't have to go back that far. You can also... Go to WarRocketWiki.com to find tons of information about the show. Uh, some of our key episodes, the Every Story Ever list, other documents of segments that we've done over the years are there on WarRocketWiki, so go check that out. It is a fan-run repository of all kinds of information about the show. I use it. Uh, I have a New Year's resolution to read a bunch of stuff on the Every Story Ever list. See? See? You should, too. If you want to find me and my stuff, uh, you can go to mattdwilson.net to find links to uh, the books I've written, the comics I've written, my social medias, and my other podcasts. They are all there. Uh, we'll be back next week. Chris will be here once again, and uh, we'll have a show for you. We might read some Groonies, or we may knock out the last few Battle of the Decades submissions, whatever it is that we do, uh, you should be here for it. Uh, maybe we'll have another guest. Who's to say? Uh, but Chris will be back, and uh, we'll have a show for you then. But uh, we hope you en enjoyed this episode. Daniel, thank you one more time for uh, hopping on here with me. I, I really appreciate it a lot. 
Uh, thank you for having me. I, I, I consider myself to be uh, the, the anti-Matt uh, Fraction. Uh, I'm the, the guy who, who comes on a lot, uh, but then eagerly participates fully. <laughs> that's, that's what we're looking for. That's what we're looking for. Uh, so remember, everybody, Black Lives Matter. Trans rights are human rights. Abortion rights are also human rights. Cops aren't your friends. And we love you. And I think you're okay. Yeah!